do we have are we go, are we re- are we ready to go? Do we have the notes that we need? Oh, I'm ready. I thought Ben ready. I thought this was all the show. Oh, <laughs> Shan's yeah, show sure. and tell. <laughs> Every <laughs> yeah, the very visual component of me showing notebooks. No, that will not be in the show. This is going to be the show. Ready okay. go. Okay, cool. Well, we each had homework last time we stopped. Oh, you're just jumping right into it. Oh, hey, everybody. Oh, it's Max. It's, it's, I feel like it's been a while. I need a little warm-up. It has been a very, it's been a very long time. Like, like two weeks or so since yeah, we recorded. It's... I don't know if you remember our, our homework that we had. No, I don't. I don't think I did my homework. I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure you did yours. I think we left with varying degrees of homework, and um, yours was something along the lines of enjoy your vacation and mm. eat as much seafood as possible, mm-hmm. maybe read some books. Wear check linen pa- and check. <laughs> wear linen pants. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I, think, I did that. I think mine was to take dog medicine for ticks. <laughs> yeah, it was. Pill. Um, and then um, the other one was to actually get some information about livestock, which I did that part. I did not take any dog medicine. <laughs> well, that's probably for the best. Honestly. And I discovered we uh, we give Boca like a, a skin treatment, you know, like we don't actually uh, give her okay. a pill. So I couldn't just start putting that in my head of hair. I guess I could have. Uh, I don't think it'd be good, though. Gross. Uh, <laughs> But I have the livestock follow. All right, hit me with the. And this was specifically, yeah. I think I was asking about like the economics of it all, right? Yeah, you were. We were talking like margins and and what kind of money do you make on on livestock in general? And this will be more specific, obviously, to the farm here. Um, but basically, I was asking them about it, and lambs are pretty much a matter of just breaking even um, here at the farm, maybe because of the quantity that we're doing, but. Um, they're basically you can when you take them in to get butchered. I found out that they butcher them. They'll do five and then they'll wait a little bit and do five more, um, so they don't have all the meat at once. But they basically end up selling them for about eight dollars a pound when they take them in, um, which is more than the pig. But they usually don't weigh. I mean, they might weigh like eighty pounds, seventy okay. to eighty pounds. It might be a little bit even ambitious for them weighing that much. Um, they're pretty big this year though. So far, I think they're growing faster than they have in previous years. Um, they're just a slower grower and pigs put on weight like crazy so pigs they made money on last year for sure even though they only have six um pig sells for like six dollars a pound which isn't that much less considering they brought the pigs and had around 250 pounds last year wow which is absurd <laughs> the big old boys yeah and big so old and chalky boys the other thing too is it there's there'd be better margins too if we did things differently um if you had them for a longer season and weren't trying to like fatten them up with grain towards the end, mm-hmm. I think the feed cost towards like the last month of the pigs being alive, where you're trying to fatten them up and finish them off, is pretty expensive. You're feeding them a lot per day. Um, if you were just kind of slowly finishing them in like a pasture or a bigger pasture, or they were getting more restaurant and food scraps, um, your obviously your feed cost would be way down. Um, it would just take a lot longer to get them to be fat. Right. And and then last thing was that they um. I think the lambs were something like $150 each new when they got them, and the pigs were $125. Okay. But the pigs came in almost at 50 pounds, and at $6 a pound, that's almost like $300 right there really already of of meat. But um, So, yeah, that's that's where that's where the actual All livestock right. money stands. So pigs are where it's at, it sounds like. Hmm. Lambs, not so much. That's a little bit surprising. I figured – I figured because lambs, like if you look at a menu at a restaurant, like a lamb dish is generally more expensive. I figured yeah. that's where the the money making was happening. But pigs pigs win just by being big and fat. 
Yeah, they put on they have they, they win by girth alone. Yeah, and I guess you can still make some pretty. Uh, I'm thinking like some pork belly. Mm. Yeah, I mean we had that pretty. I mean it was weird, but we had that pretty good pork dish at Blue Hill. Do you remember that? Was it pork face? Yeah, it was, was everything. It like the various face parts. It was different parts of the pork head made, you know, like different, like it was still looked like pulled pork and meat and nothing looked like what it came off the face. But yeah, it was like jowl. Oh, an eye socket. Eye socket and snout and a couple (laughs) of other weird spots on the head that they made into meat. Do, uh, does, does your uh, restaurant have uh, eye socket on the menu? (laughs) If they do, they don't advertise. (laughs) So what do they do when, when you send a pig off to be processed, obviously, like the prime cuts that we all know is what you're after, and that's what the restaurant gets. That's what you all will get back. But what about like the other stuff? Can you uh, can you get some of the uh, the less savory bits? Me personally, yeah, I don't think so. I think the idea is that they give each restaurant essentially the full pig, and let them figure out how they want to use it. So if they decide they actually want to use each and every part um, to get the most out of it, I get the vibe that at the restaurant here at the farm that the the chef would be very into that. Yeah. Um, it might do something like that, but um, I don't know. Maybe I can go stay. I just knock on the door and be like, hey, you're not using those hooves, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I got a stew. That you gonna, you gonna use that, uh, you gonna use that colon? Can I, uh, can I have that rectum? <laughs> so it's hard to say. I don't know if that comes out of the butchering process. That might be a thing that, that's re- removed during the butchering, Sam. Well, I'm just saying, yeah. I'm <laughs> oh, sure I should go to the butcher? Removed. Yeah, go straight to the source and get everything. Go go to the butcher and just be like, listen, I know you have a lot of pig colons back there. <laughs> Show me your finest pig colons. Um, but yeah, I'll keep I'll have more information as like we actually start butchering them. But right. the lambs are going soon. I think in one month we take the first five, but the pigs still have some time. They're they're still growing, but they're gotcha. they're fattening up fast. Very cool. But uh, so right, have you? Um, well, one last livestock follow up. Have you? taken on any more of a active role in caring for them because i know your previous farm experience you didn't have anything to do with livestock and this uh, is new so have you been learning anything yeah I and mean, just by like i haven't been administering any of the like the medicine for the lambs and stuff but um just through seeing what they're like basically doing to them i've kind of learned about what you know what you're looking for in lambs and things like that but um for the most part I haven't taken a much more active role. I've been I helped to do some chores over the weekend. I fed the lambs over the fourth and the pigs and what's a lamb eat? What's a lamb eat? They were eating um well mostly pasture. We barely give yeah. them and the only reason we're still giving them grain and corn is because we're still trying to remember get them used to people. Basically yeah. People when they really are. I mean, the second they see you with a bucket, it could be a bucket full of weeds and you're walking by, they think you're feeding them. Yeah. They storm they storm <laughs> the fence towards you. But um so we've got them very well trained on that point. So for the most part, they're barely eating um, anything but grass. They eat some grain. And then pigs are gotcha. eating a little bit of grain, but they're mostly eating farm scraps. And uh, honestly, they have a giant, a pretty big pasture that they've been, been, they've been chowing down, which basically just looks like a forest that they've been impressive with what they're able to eat. So, All right. But they're good. The pigs do run into the electric fence a lot, <laughs> which is really sad. I mean, it's to the point to the point where you'd think they'd be better because they've done it. Each one of them has at least done it once, and we will be sitting like in a field, kind of far away, and you'll just hear a really loud, loud yelp, and we'll just be like, "That's that a pig!" And the pigs, <laughs> the pigs just did that again. And the fence isn't moving. We keep it in the same spot right now. It's not like we're changing changing it up on them. So yeah. But how about right. your homework? How was your your tough so homework? My vacation? homework was just go on vacation, right? 
pretty much, and and I think eat seafood, wear linen pants. Okay, so I did. I had and back to back nights, I ate lobster, like a okay. full lobster that I had to take apart and open and do all the hard work to get the meats out. That was pretty great. Your face is telling me that you think that is gross. No, it was more have you ever you had a full it. lobster? No, it was more the fact that you called it hard work. <laughs> <laughs> I cut myself. I, I like I like cut my thumb breaking open a lobster. Oh man, it is it was tough. I'll have to show you now that you're on the East Coast. I got to show you how to eat a lobster. Yeah, because well, uh, I mean, my first one was literally last summer, I think. So. Okay. Yeah, we Michiganders don't really eat lobster much. No, we don't. But it's fun. It's, okay. Well, you can you can show me the ropes. Yeah, I'll show you the ropes. Um, <laughs> the the first one was just at like a family party, like it was super casual. The second one though was at a rehearsal dinner for a wedding, and I was wearing uh, like gray pants and a white shirt, and I was utterly unprepared to eat a lobster. I didn't realize we were going to be eating lobster, and they didn't give us bibs. And I was just covered in in lobster pieces and butter by the end of the night. At one point. Uh, I had a bit of lobster in my hair. Uh, it wasn't my fault. It was the person sitting across from me when they were cracking a claw or something. It's like a piece, of, like a shard, like flew off and like landed in my hair. Uh, it was a, it was a true lobster massacre. That sounds like a poor planning on the person's part of setting up the rehearsal dinner. Well, the funny thing is, apparently they thought it was going to be like a, um, like a communal cla- uh, clam bake. Yeah, uh, where like everything was going to be like kind of poured down the middle of the table, and we would just reach mm-hmm. in and grab it. And actually, it was everybody got an individual plate with a full lobster on it, with like some like a potato and like sausage and stuff. Uh, so they we literally were unprepared for the fact that we were all going to okay. get lobsters. All right. Well, sounds good though. Yeah, and then I had lobster in soup form, lobster bisque the following night. Wow. So and I also stuck had, <laughs> I had some scallops. I had a bunch of oysters. Uh, muffins, but those were not seafood related. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, was like, I was about to say, what seafood do I not realize is made into muffins? I okay. bet you you could make like a cornbread muffin with maybe... Bits of lobster or something in it. Yeah, bit, crab, bits of crab. crab. A crab cake muffin. <laughs> that sounds incredible. There you go. You just came up with something. I did. <laughs> Uh, new home, new homework. <laughs> yeah, no, you're the cook guy. You go make a crab cake muffin. All right, I'll work on it. And I wore my linen pants a little bit here and there. Any so, sharks? No sharks. No sharks. I definitely saw a sign, a new sign that was not there last year. That was like, "Yo, look out for sharks! Don't go swimming if you're bleeding. Don't swim by yourself." Did Did you swim at all? Uh, I I waded around basically. The bay where we were staying, um, it like is really shallow for like 200 yards. Like you can be oh, okay. way out from the shore and still only like, be up to your waist. So gotcha. I, I did that. Walked around. Nice. Yeah. Uh, how are your books? But books were pretty good. Read read about the weather. Uh, realized that there's a lot of science with the weather. I mean, I feel like I knew that, but like once I started, <laughs> you just think it was willy nilly. It was just like this, this rain blows in, this rain comes out, it gets cold, and it's... yeah. I mean, I of course I know that like meteorology is like a legitimate science that is, you know, very complex, and people have PhDs in it and stuff. And I just wasn't quite mentally prepared. I think maybe for the level of technical detail that this book was going to go into, although. 
this book that I bought called How to Read the Weather. It's written by a gentleman named Carl Weathers. Storm Dunlop. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> That's not good. That's pretty, I think he had no choice. Yeah, he had he book. had to go go into uh, go into the weather biz. Uh, so I haven't finished it yet, but it's pretty good. Uh, that's a long time for you to read a book. Yeah, so, I think I'm like I'm like spread across several books at once, so I'm not finishing them as quickly. But it was are, fine. Are you a multiple book reader at once? You, mm, I I wanted to say no because ideally I'm not, but I'm realizing that I kind of am. I yeah. usually have one to. I would say three or four books going at once, usually. I can't do that. Not I, one bit. Yeah. I shouldn't do that, but I do for whatever reason. Or actually, what I'll do is like I'll end up getting like three or four going at once, and then I will read like that whole batch. Like I'll finish those three and four before I start any. So eventually I'll get down to like just I'm reading just one, like the remaining sure. one from that batch, and then I'll start kind of like a new batch at the same time. Because I'll have like an audiobook. A Kindle book and a Apple Books book all going because that way it doesn't matter like what device I have with me or what I feel like like reading on I'll have something to read. Gotcha. So you won't string a book along for like months though. The things where people start a book and like no, kind of just have it, like, no. I mean, ideally, up. the second the second that I start reading a book, it has now become uh, an open loop in my brain that I feel compelled to close as quickly as possible. All right, then I've got another book reading question. So are you one of those people that even if you're not super into a book, you will finish it because you started it? I'm trying to become the type of person who can just stop reading a book. Uh, But my natural inclination is to finish anything that I've started. Yeah. What about you? I mean – I, well, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I used to – I think basically I was always doing that. I'd be like, well, I'm not liking this book, but I got to finish it. Um, and then I remember just reading one of those classic stats that was like, even if you read a book a day, you'll never read more than you know, like X amount of books in your life. So why would you try and read the crappy ones? And I was yeah. like, all right, that's a good point. I cannot yeah. be wasting time reading. I'm trying to remember what, I, what all I've put down. I think I put down Gulliver's Travels, which is a fairly famous book, but I was just not enjoying it very much. Um, and I knew it was a classic. I was like, I got to keep reading this, but I finally just put it away yeah. and it is pretty empowering to just be like, you know what? This is not very good. And yeah. just like stop reading it. I, um, I want to be able to do that. I'm worried that I'm going to like build the muscle of not finishing things and just be like, Oh, I'm bored now. This must not be good anymore and get rid of it. Cause like part of me feels like being able to read a thing that at the moment is not really grabbing you is somehow like virtuous or good to do, which I realize is not necessarily true. Like slogging your way through yeah. a shitty book is not helping anyone. Uh, but I, I sometimes I just worry that I, if I if I open that if I open that uh, Pandora's box, I'm not going to be able to close it, and I'll never finish another book. Well, it'll be interesting to see if that starts happening. If you start <laughs> if you start re- reading yeah. that way and you feel like you're getting through about 80% of books, then calling it, yeah, I know how this ends. This is basically good. <laughs> yeah. But did you, what else did you read? So you read – you didn't finish Weather, but – I read some book on minimalism. Um, I don't remember what it was called, but I've been just picking books up on that occasionally. I don't know why. I feel like I know everything about it, but it's like – Something that has been grabbing my attention again for whatever reason. So, but that, ask, yeah, yeah. If that was a, a, it's interesting. That's a topic that still 
I mean, obviously, when you're writing a minimalism blog, it makes sense to be like finger on the pulse of what's going on. But um, I mean, do you still just find the world of minimalism interesting? Or are they coming out with new stuff? The world of minimalism. Well, <laughs> part of it was that the guys who wrote this book, um, they guy named Joshua and Ryan, they have a website called The Minimalists, and they have the documentary on not on Netflix. Okay. Um, I actually know, like, I I've kind of know them like I've met them in real life and I actually gave them advice when they were first starting up their website back in the day so I was kind of feeling like I wanted to get caught up with what they had been up to and then the other part of it is just that I think like with any life philosophy it is useful to just be kind of dipping back into it from time to time as a reminder and as kind of like a re like re-motivating yourself to do to, to be yeah. a minimalist and to make those types of decisions and how I'm living. So um, that's the value I think I, I get from that. Less, It's not about like finding new things to write about and more about just like opening myself or reminding myself of like things that I believe. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. But and then, I will... and I inevitably, after reading stuff on minimalism, start looking around and like trying to find things to like get rid of. I said also that you are never going to be, it sounds like a physical book person anymore. No, no. My my entire physical book collection is on one shelf right over here. It's like cool. 15 cool books, guy. I think. Cool uh, guy. I, 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 I sense a lot of disdain <laughs> in your voice. Um, I mean, I, I, I enjoy reading a physical book for yeah. the most part. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we actually have a really good library here, so we've been getting a lot of books from the library. Um, but... Honestly, like, I mean, this is not something I would ever used to do. I thought going to used bookstores used to make me pretty angry. It's just so... Wait, why would they make you angry? angry. (laughs) Not angry, but you, like, it's, I mean, like, people like the hunt. I think it takes a certain mood to be in it, but it was always, like, really frustrating to go to a used bookstore. And if you're in the wrong frame of mind, you're going to be just, like, super overwhelmed. Yeah, you Um, you can't go to a used bookstore looking for something specific. No, I know. I was usually, I would look through a genre or something. But actually, this is a little different, but we were at... There's a bunch of different thrift stores out here, and there's one that organizes its books actually fairly well by genre for the most part. And um, I basically I was just searching through that, and I found um, some interesting books to I bought for like a dollar. So I bought. What'd you get? Um, a well, one of my coworkers is very into architecture and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. so I bought him the Pillars of the Earth book. I can follow it. That's cool fiction. But I never read those. I know you super, and like Nate did too. Nate and mom. Um, it's super centered on this builder building a cathedral in England. So um, it's very architecture heavy, um, but it's still historical fiction. Um, so I bought him that book because it was there for like a dollar. There was like four copies of it. So apparently, Ken Follett books are heavily um, stocked in thrift stores. But then I got a my first Murakami book. Oh, which um, one? I got Wind Up Bird Chronicle. Okay, I haven't read that one yet. Um, I know I had seen that a lot of people had read his stuff on Goodreads, and I've heard things yeah. good things about yeah. it. So this was the only one that was there, but again, it was really cheap, so I scooped it up. Uh, enjoying it so far. I know it was, <clears throat> I know it's supposed to get really weird soon. It's kind yeah. of his thing. Yeah, he it, is. Kind of, it is weird. It's yeah, so, it's so, fun though. Well, his actually is a good example of a book where I read I think two of his books, um, and I at one point found myself like being kind of bored, uh, mm-hmm. but then got through it and really glad like that I didn't put it away during yeah. like kind of a, a slow part or like definitely kind of started slow. Is that IQ 84? 
it, I think that's one Q eighty four. One Q eighty four. Yeah, that's how I read that one, and then um, killing Commentadore, or however you say that word. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. And then scooped up uh, just a, a book that was curated by David Sedaris of just his favorite short stories or short stories that were kind of oh, like okay. form- formative to him when he was younger. They really cool. influenced how he writes. David Sedaris uh, is hilarious. Yeah, I love his writing. I've read a ton of his personal short stories, but it's kind of interesting to get a book that's just a mixture of short stories by a bunch of different authors. But you can and you can definitely tell how what he found in those short stories entertaining now that you've read his other work, yeah. you know, um, whether it be something about that's really personal, dealing with like family stuff or something that's just really funny. Right. Um, uh, so I've enjoyed that a lot. And actually, I discovered that I really like a, like a collection of short stories because yeah totally it's it's one the, the fact that you can complete one that's 20 pages long and be like you read a full complete story yeah compared to you know fantasy now where you have to read nine books in a in a not even a trilogy anymore you know these incredible yeah. series to, well, to even get some closure yeah that's why i got i started getting into comic books a lot in grad school uh because yeah. like a single comic book was this really nice bite-sized dose of a story that you could read in 20 minutes mm-hmm. uh yeah that makes a lot of sense so i'm gonna try and maybe try and pick up some more book of short stories and kind of keep and it's a good way to expose yourself to a lot of authors at once totally um you know this book probably had 12 to 14 different authors in it um so that was kind of cool and then actually speaking of comic books i'm pretty sure the the mcelroy's second book comes out uh yep. next tuesday i thought i had it pre-ordered uh, i should double check that i think i thought i pre-ordered it like literally a year ago uh yeah but i'm looking for forward that. that i'm sure I'll, I'll probably scoop it up when it comes out yeah but um all right well let's let's just we, continue through what's been what's been causing us to record later and later um and jump down to because you just got back from a work retreat. Well, right? sure, you talk yeah. About that or no? Well, I want to. Yeah, I want to hear about farm dinner. Oh, I what guess the hell that is farm before. dinner. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's well. It's very much a hipstery trend these days for farms to try and, which makes sense. It's you know, money is always tight on a farm, and a good way to add into that is like the whole world of agritourism or just kind of getting people onto your farm. Yeah. Um, to you know, not necessarily work, but just to see it. And spend money in a different way. So farm dinners have caught on, which is essentially, I've seen them in a bunch of different models. Um, I've done one that's more community based, where the farm actually ran it themselves, and so they couldn't charge you, like they couldn't say like you need to pay twenty bucks to eat. It had to be like a, a donation mm-hmm. because otherwise there was different licensing they had to get. So they used to do like a communal one in Ann Arbor, mm-hmm. um, really awesome. It was like eighty to hundred people. It was huge. Wow. They'd have like a, a live bluegrass band playing on like a hay trailer and. People walk around the farm and tour it. Um, it's more of a casual approach to farm dinners. Um, so I've been to one of those before, a couple of different of those. But the one here is pretty intense. So they just started doing these um, four or five years ago. But they're a ticketed event for a strict number of people. I think it's 40 people at the event. Um, starts at like 6 o'clock. It's all inclusive and it runs to like 9 or so. And it's held right on the farm. So they they have a you know the catering company that does the weddings here runs the farm dinner as well all we do is pick the produce and make sure the farm looks pretty and then i actually um three of us will work it you know we each stand at like does that mean app. you like you uh kind of like fluff up the lambs and brush out the pigs <laughs> yeah we fluff up the lambs. we did actually like run around and make sure like a lot of the weeds that were in one of the fields that was most noticeable were like cleaned up uh-huh. um because we want things to look good. I but, feel like maybe you should really take it to the next level and like soap down the pigs and just like make sure they're looking <laughs> nice. 
Yeah, just give up. Put them on little bow ties, maybe. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring that to Monday's meeting. Yeah, again, yeah. just make. I, I'm sure at this point your colleagues are starting to look forward to my advice after each recording. So yeah. just make sure you're bringing that on to Monday's meeting, please. No, I'm pretty sure we'll have, we have a Sam list somewhere of, of <laughs> Sam's ideas for fixing the farm. Um, well, we already talked about the pigs look like they're already wearing leotards. They look like they're wearing wrestling sing- like singlets almost because they have like these pink like. Their paws, their hooves are pink up to like. Wait, their, did like, you just their... say paws? I did. I've been around a dog a lot. Their hooves are pink up to like the middle of their leg, and uh-huh. then it's all black, and so it looks like they're wearing a wrestling singlet. Um, <laughs> but anyways, so. Um, okay, so wait. Event. One more quick idea. You guys should do an event where people can come in and wrestle pigs. That'd be fun. You could pay. They pay to do it. I think you might be misunderstanding Groton's demographic. Well, maybe. <laughs> Um, this farm dinner is a little more down their path, okay. but anyways, so, um, people come to the farm, you pay a lot for this ticket. I think it's about 150 bucks per person. Um, oh, but wow. six o'clock they get, there's like a cocktail hour and basically mm-hmm. there's two cocktail stations and appetizer stations that are split up around the farm. Um, we're staffing one of them. We're kind of just standing there to talk about the farm, what's on the dish. Um, and, but so what were the appetizers? Um, at my station, it was like a leaf of lettuce used like a, a tortilla and the inside was like a summer squash um bruschetta kind of thing going on so kind of like a lettuce wrap lettuce wrap was really good and then just we also just had like a crudite with a beet hummus at our station which obviously crudite is just fresh vegetables cut up yes sounds a lot <laughs> it sounds so much cooler than it is and then at the other station they had like a cucumber gazpacho shooter kind of like a little glass mm, yeah and then they had um beet chips with this really good like herb cheese on top of it so those are the four app stations, but they make it so you have to walk around the farm, kind of see what's going on at the farm. We're kind of rotating around to just talk about are you, what's going on. I, are you like in like over the top farmer garb to like really make the vibe uh, farmer like? <laughs> You'd think they'd do that or at least give something to set us apart. But no, we're all wearing these lame shirts that just say Gibbet Hill Farm. Um no, I think we should be in overall straw hats. I agree. Chewing on a piece of it was like hay. Yeah. Um, maybe just holding a pitchfork and walking around and kind of just pointing stuff. I think so. But um, so anyways, that's kind of like the the beginning, the cocktail hour, and then the, they do two craft. The bartender does two craft cocktails. Um, this week's this one was like a strawberry shrub. So using our strawberries from the farm, this like really sweet um, drink that they made that they kind of like mixed with seltzer water. Um, really good. And then the other one was kind of interesting. So right now we were we were at the time overloaded with sweet pea, or, uh, sugar snap peas, and she made a sugar snap pea syrup by basically like distilling them down, mm-hmm. and it was a vodka based drink, but it tasted pretty strong of sugar snap peas, which was pretty cool. And they actually they clipped these these little binder clips and clipped a snap pea so that it was hanging in the water. Hmm. Um, the whole event is very like. Instagrammy, yeah. Pinterest looking. You know, they did a very good job making sure because these people are paying a lot of money, and that's kind of what they want when they come to the farm. Did you like, pose for any spend. pictures? Did anybody ask for a picture with the farmer? Um, no one asked for a strict picture with me. There's pictures, I'm sure, of me at the event. They do a lot of pictures while I'm there, but no one was like, "I need to get a picture with this farmer." Um, <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get a picture with this with this twenty whatever white dude with a beard. Yeah, yeah. nothing about me really stands out of looking like a farmer. So. Um, and then they sit down at a communal table um, under these, you know, hanging you know, lights and stuff that are strung between the barns. Mm-hmm. And then um, 
they serve they get a bunch of different courses but it's served family style so there's big bowls of stuff being brought out um they're cooking all the food over wood-fired grills out there um and the the chefs are cooking like 20 feet away from the table um and again 90 percent of the stuff they're using is from the farm um except for a few things here and there and yeah and they just basically serve a communal dinner um Kaylee will usually talk about the farm a little bit and then that's it. But the food is phenomenal. I mean, it's, it's probably five or six courses, um, with the dessert. Um, do you get to eat to, too? Did we, we just like, kind of like, but keep you in the back. Least, yeah, no, here's the thing is the people, since it's served family style and people are only scooping what they want, a lot of food comes back and it's hilarious. Cause there's probably only like, there's probably 12 of us working total from different parts of the restaurant. Yeah. Um, and they bring it back to like a, a table that's kind of off to the side. And then we're just savages over there sitting around with forks <laughs> and knives and just eating all the food that was brought back. Um, but it's good. It's like steak yeah. and it was a bunch of different stuff that was obviously just cooked right then. It's all it's cool to see all of our produce made in a way that we necessarily wouldn't, you know, I would never cook it. Um, right. Like a cool a kohlrabi soup. I wouldn't really make a kohlrabi soup, but it was super good. Like a Dude, cold soup. Is it, is it called a kohlrabi? She didn't. I don't think they named the individual dishes. Okay. They did name the cocktails, and this the P one was easy peasy. Nice. I think it's a pretty good name. Um, better better than like uh, bucket op. Yeah, that'd be pretty good though too. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so yeah, it's a cool event. I mean, it's and people just seem very happy to see the farm and what's going on out there. Um, they do, we do five of them throughout the summer every two weeks, um, and for, it's pretty easy work for me, and it's delicious food. So. That was kind of a big thing. We did a lot of prep for that, less with harvesting and more of just like stressing about making the farm look good. Right. Um, which right now it looks fairly good because we're on top of things for the most part. So, um, yeah, that was pretty cool. much it. That's pretty much the highlight of the week. That's All the right. main focus. Other than that, we're pretty much in a routine around here. Cool. So. Any any funky weather you had to deal with last week? Um, we just had a crazy storm roll in for like thirty minutes yesterday or Friday. And where it rained, I mean, rained nothing like you guys had in DC. When I heard that you guys got three inches in an hour, or whatever that yeah. was, we got about a half inch in in thirty gotcha. minutes, yeah. or maybe twenty minutes. That um, was the craziest rain I've ever experienced. It sounds like what you had is what we experienced for this short burst, where we it was coming down so hard you couldn't see the other greenhouse. Like you were standing in one, you couldn't see the other. Yeah. But it was that for a long period of time, which I can't even imagine because it was already really pooling around the farm. Yeah. Um, it reminded me a lot of being in Kentucky, actually, down at the lake. Right. You know, those storms that used to roll in where out of nowhere, I mean, the, the road turns into a river, things yep. like that. Um, it felt like that, which was cool because we haven't had that yet this summer. So, okay. But other than that, just hot, man. July 4th was really freaking hot. Yes. Um, well, yeah, you knew that you were down in the Cape. It was You weren't that far away. Although we were right on the water, so it's easy. It's like you always have a breeze. Actually, one day there was like no breeze. That was kind of hot, but the rest you have that nice ocean breeze. Yeah, and we, I didn't bring up at all about the fact that you didn't come up and visit me, but it's fine. We'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll talk about it. We'll, 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 you'll come see the farm eventually. I will but, come um, see the farm eventually. I, I do promise that. Um, but no, there's some other farm stuff, but I can save it for future episodes. It's just like unique things going on the farm right now that are more specific to like, kind of like the no-till episode where I talk about things we've been doing. All right. Um, We'll make sure they're on the list. Yeah. I've got, I've got a list going. I'll I'll write it down. We'll, we can talk more about, there's a lot of intricacies of techniques and stuff that are going on at the farm. Um, but cool. This is not the time. They call that, they call that a teaser. 
Yeah, that's stick, a stick around next week for intricacies of farm techniques with Max Barlon. Ooh, we just pushed everybody away. <laughs> but, yeah. All right. Well, how about you then? Well, let's 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 skip the middle one for you. I'm, I'm curious yeah. about the retreat first because sure, one, that was one what you were up to most recently, and I'm just curious because I know you've been doing yeah. them for a while. The yeah. Been so, for a while. so the ready does um, every trimester, so three times a year, we bring everyone together to do uh, like a two or three day retreat um, where we don't do any client work and we just come together to work on stuff related to the company. Uh, So we just had one, our second one of the year um, in upstate New York on Thursday and Friday, basically. So I took the train up from DC uh, Wednesday night, stayed at a hotel in New York Wednesday night. And then we took a shuttle um, from Manhattan up about two hours north to a town called Port Jervis to um, stay at like basically like summer camp for adults. Uh, stay yeah, there describe, and do our describe retreat. Describe the place. Do you guys always stay at cool places? Or a lot of yeah, times we stay at pretty interesting places. Yeah, the Ready, we we have some fancy people at the Ready. Uh, I am the least fancy of, of the people who work at the Ready probably, but we generally stay at pretty nice places. And it was just like a... Uh, big estate that had a bunch of like cabins and small houses on it my the the cabin that i stayed in it was like a like a luxury hotel room like it was really yeah. really nice and we each had our own room um and then we would spend the day um in basically it was like a barn that had a big covered deck out the back cool. so we sat there all day and did our work, um, you know, a bunch of candles and benches and food and it's just a um, bunch of stuff like that. So we would, so when, so Thursday we arrived around like 1030 or so uh, and then we spent all afternoon, well, we did like a quick session and then we ate lunch uh, and then we spent all afternoon working on stuff for the company, doing a retrospective and just kind of getting the lay of the land of what has gone well and what hasn't gone well over the past um, few months. Then we had a big uh, dinner. It was actually, they call it their, the garden dinner, where mm-hmm. if the weather is good, they have a garden there and they set up a long table down the middle of it and you have yeah. dinner out there. But it was kind of drizzly. So we were in like this um, kind of pavilion where we had a really fancy nice dinner with some of the best food i have ever eaten it was ridiculously good what's the place called that you actually stayed i think it's called cedar lake estate okay i'm curious do they have they don't have like a restaurant on site do they they bring somebody out to cook this meal yeah they i think they have people on staff like they don't have like a, a restaurant open to the public but they must have like on staff chefs for the what they do unless it was all catered but i don't think it was i thought i saw people walking around kind of in chef outfits yeah chef fits, uh, yeah. yeah chef fits. uh it was it was super good and then friday we got up uh some people played capture the flag we had the option as a company so a couple weeks ago my colleague who was organizing all this put a poll into Slack that said, hey, what group activity do you all want to do? And the options were like, capture the flag or like a shelter building like experience (laughs) or um, like just like going swimming. And one of the options was the blob, 
the blob. blob. <laughs> you know, the blob where you're like one person sits on it and the other person jumps off a platform onto it and it launches you into the lake. Yeah. My good for nothing colleagues didn't select that one <laughs> as what we wanted to do as a group uh, activity. And well, you- I feel like that was my one opportunity to experience a blob and I didn't get to do it. So yeah. they picked capture the flag instead. So in protest, not really in protest, I, I didn't play because I spent the morning writing a very overdue newsletter and article that needed to get published. So I, I did that instead of play capture the flag. That's uh, that is such a. I mean, you did say that you have pretty fancy coworkers. They don't strike me. Blob is not yeah. fancy people. <laughs> yeah, there were. I mean, there were a few of us, mostly men, who were excited for the idea of blobbing. Yeah, uh, but they call it. Is that the verb to blob? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it seems to make sense to me. Uh, and yeah, I, I'm not gonna lie. I would have enjoyed seeing some of my fancier colleagues doing the blob. <laughs> but uh, no, it was it was good. And then we. Basically had a couple more hours on Friday to do some stuff. And then we took the shuttle back into the city, which like a like a limo bus thing. Um, and then I took a train back to D.C. and got home like midnight Friday night. Um, all right. So let's talk more details. First off, how many people actually come to this? Because your company uh, this is was super 13. spread out. It was 13 people. So, yeah, is we had people. East Coast? It was, I mean, we had our European colleague flew in from Amsterdam um, and then people out west flew in, you know, from Denver. And then we had some people in the south, in Tennessee and North Carolina and me. And then we had the kind of New York contingent. What percentage of the full-timers? So not, obviously, I know you guys have quite a few of the contractors, where you guys call them, the people that yeah. you guys bring in for projects. Um, how many of this of the full-timers was this? It was like everyone, basically. Well, maybe like missing like one or two. We have a colleague in the Middle East who didn't come uh, – who didn't make it out, but it was most, it was most of us. Oh, okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure. For some yeah. reason in my mind, I, had, I think I'm, cause I'm thinking of the other people you guys bring on for projects that I had the number higher than 13. Yeah. Well, and one of the, I mean, not to get like super into the weeds, but one of the primary things we did during the retreat was, um, change our member model. So we're not going to do core full-time employees and network members anymore. We're going to, all be the same type of of member um so that was so moving forward we won't kind of have that that division between the two what part got changed so network doesn't really exist so much anymore so it's like a, more in a network it's setting. kind of a hybrid in the sense that what we're doing calling it like our base plus uh experience or experiment where we all get paid um like a set like low 30 K a year amount just as to like be part-time members in the, in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you make more than that based on projects. So you get paid by the project essentially. So while you're, while you're on a project, you're earning a monthly rate that brings you up to whatever your actual salary number is. And then also there are internal roles that we as a company decide how much they're worth. And if people want to take on those roles um, and they have the skills and experience to take on those roles, you can also get paid on on top of that. And what this allows for us is it puts us back in a much more sure legal footing. Um, like that's the whole prompting for why we had to change things in that you, you can't, you can't have contractors who are doing the work of the company 
and yeah. not have them be employees. So we had yeah, to change that's... something up to get to get legal again. That's fun. That well, that just reminds. That's a farming thing a little bit too. Oh really? It's a problem. Well, maybe I don't know. The whole legality of everything, and it probably falls into a similar thing. But I've been at farms before, and it's a common thing where they pay the employees, as, or they they hire them on as contractors. So you are a 1099. contractor. Ten ninety nine. Ten ninety nine. All that stuff. Um, but what that basically meant was, especially with farming, is that you know they would be. The rules of being a contractor are a lot of the things we're talking about. How you, you know, usually you like kind of like set your own hours. You have your own um, workers' comp and stuff because as if they're hiring out like another company essentially. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm an individual and I didn't have my own workers' comp. Right. I was a hundred percent. Everything I was doing was determined by the that, farm. I wasn't yeah. setting any type of schedule. I wasn't helping right. determine any of that. So basically, it's always it was a loophole for farms to not pay taxes on you as much yeah. and screw you over by having you be a contractor. I mean, yeah. what would have happened if I broke my leg on the farm? Right. Because I would, they would look at me like, well, you're a contractor. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah. I'm my own workers comp. I'm 19. Yeah. yeah. I haven't you know, figured that out. Um, so it's a thing that was, I mean, I think it's a, a shady thing that still happens in farming quite a bit. Sure. But um, it's become a thing that once I learned about what it meant as a, I didn't know what I even meant when I was younger yeah. um, to work on a farm, be like, Oh, here's a 1099. You're gonna be a contractor. Now that I know I, I won't work for anyone that does that right. just because I mean, totally. it puts me in such, it puts them in a, it's there in a weird spot. And I know that they're kind of screwing me over. Um, but it's interesting to hear that that was kind of, well, yeah. Bit, and, and for us, it wasn't, it, that wasn't the motivation for it. Mm-hmm. So like we, we've been, you know, as, as a kind of future of work consultancy, trying to do things differently and try to like kind of push the envelope of what's possible. The idea behind our original thing was that there are a lot of independent um, consultants in the world who are kind of doing this type of work who Mm -hmm. don't want to be full-time employees. They don't want to be full-time connected to a company. However, they do want to be part of a community. They want to be part of a network of, of colleagues who are doing the same work. So the idea was that we would try to kind of create that, type of organization where the the membrane between being in the organization and being out of the organization was very porous. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is that you have yeah situations like you just described and also things in the gig economy where like the the winds of the the law are blowing against contractors because you have like Uber and Lyft and yeah. all of the and they, the way they get around it is that um, Uber and Lyft basically argue that they are software companies and that the actual work of their company is making software. So all their software developers are employees, but the drivers are contractors because that's not the work of the the company. So like one way that one way we were considering moving forward was, okay, well, if we take that model, then the ready could become a platform for independent consultants to do this work. However, we wouldn't be able to tell the consultants how to do their work at all. We wouldn't, we couldn't force them yeah. to use our IP, which is like the entire point of the way we do this work. So that wasn't interesting what, yeah. to us. So we had to do something to try to retain some of the flexibility that a contractor type model allows, uh, while also making everybody W two. So we're doing yeah. this this experiment around it. And we're going to see how it goes for uh, about six months. And then if it works really well, we'll just continue on. If it doesn't work, we may shift to everybody just being full-time employees, which is like the simplest, like, yeah. most normal way to do it. But 
we felt like it was a little bit of a cop out for us to just immediately go to that just because it would be like overreacting to kind of like bad news and be like, okay, well, fine. We'll just all be full-time employees. Like, yeah. Well, what can we do that is still in the spirit of what we're trying to do, um, but puts us on stronger legal footing? So that was like the main decision we had to make. And that was what took most of the time because there was a lot of, you know, a lot of unknowns, a lot of like it changes a lot of stuff for people, especially, I mean, it, it changes a lot of stuff for the network members, but it changes a lot of stuff for like the full-time employees like me as well too. Mm-hmm. Well, it puts um, a lot of pressure on not having that gap where you don't have projects. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know you'd stepped into one of those roles that I'm guessing had a dollar amount put on it doing the, the, the in-house stuff yeah. of marketing, but um, depending on what that the, the pay difference is between those, it might put a stress on, or at least an emphasis yeah. on like, be ready to do something else because you're going to be yeah. sitting potentially making not as much exactly you're sitting and, around waiting. And the reason we're experimenting around this is we want to kind of see like what sort of incentives it creates in the company. Like we don't want to create a culture where everybody's kind of like freaking out about making sure that they have their next thing lined up when their current project ends. And we yeah. don't want to create a culture where like everybody's kind of out to protect themselves first and make sure that I know I don't care about you. I just need to make sure I'm on a project. Yeah. Like, we don't want to like that would be really counterproductive to what we're trying to build. Um, but you know, just looking at it from the outside, that's maybe a risk that that we run uh, doing this. But I mean, the other way we talked about it is that when you're a small kind of boutique consultancy like we are. If, if you're not on a project, even if you're full-time employed, like you're not on as stable footing as it may feel like. Like we mm-hmm. don't have enough money in the bank for a bunch of people to not be on projects. So while it may feel like if you're full-time employed and you're not on a project, like you're kind of safe, like you're not as safe as it you yeah. may think you are. <laughs> so maybe this will light a fire under us a little bit to make sure that we always have, we're keeping our pipeline really strong and making sure that we're, we're growing. Yeah. Um, so any other big things come out of this? Um, if you, you said, I saw something you said, or maybe it was in the deliberate that you felt pretty good about after this. Was this the main thing that made you feel pretty good about the yeah, ready after yeah, you left? Yeah, for or? sure. I mean, just the fact that there was, um, I mean, just like a feeling of like, we're all in the same boat together which it's never felt like we were like at odds with each other but there's it's always been a little bit of um, a challenge to have these like two distinct member types and we always Mm -hmm. tried to make sure that to like that that network members and core members were totally equal in the eyes of everyone but just the reality of like what the incentives are that a network member deals with with what the incentives are that a core member deals with we're always kind of at odds with each other and now we're like, we're all in this together. And it just felt like a really kind of unifying moment uh, for us, which was cool. Nice. Yeah. When's, your, when's your next one? So you guys do three a year? Uh, it'll so. be sometime in October will be our okay. next one. I'm not sure where it'll be yet, but they rotate around. They've been in New York a bunch of times. This is my 11th one. Um, it's our 11th one as a company. They've been in like the beach in Long Island. They've been in New Orleans, California. So we usually try to have them somewhere with nice weather at whatever yeah. time of year it is. That makes sense. Although we also had sense. one in a blizzard in Brooklyn in January one time. So that could be kind of cozy though. Yeah, it was pretty cozy in a different, in a different way. Yeah. Um, well, I won't, we don't have to jump into your, we will eventually come back around in future, maybe the next episode and talk about what's going on with your project. Oh yeah. Back, and, the, well, the, and the short answer is we don't know. Okay. Th- thing, things are happening, but um, not really sure what. But yeah, I see you have some other stuff there that we can talk about for 
um, what what's going on for you then in this this time period. But um, yeah, we'll save it for next time. Yeah, that's fair enough. I've got some high quality Wimbledon tennis to watch. Who who do you got winning? I don't even know who's playing. It's well, it's it's classic. It's Djokovic versus Federer. I don't understand um, these two guys and throw Nadal in that as well. Yeah, I feel like it's been these three in every tournament for like my entire life. No, you're not wrong because I okay. So we were just this is, we're talk, we'll talk Wimbledon until the end. Um, okay. <laughs> this is our tennis podcast now. Hi, um, <laughs> but no, they were saying so in women's tennis. I mean, there's been Serena that dominates. Yeah, except for she got her ass whooped yesterday. I heard that. Um, yeah, by the number seven rank, but um. Anyways, but though in men's tennis, basically Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer have been like this world-class group of tennis players all within like three years of each other in age that have literally gone through it for the past 12 to like 15 years. And there's no younger players that have ever really broken into the top four and stayed for more than a couple of weeks. You know, there was – and it used to be Andy Murray was up there too. So they were the four. Like that was it. Um, And there's like – it's interesting to know if this is just we – got blessed with having three of the best tennis players ever at once. Right. Which kind of what it seems like. Yeah. Um, or if somebody will come in and fill those shoes, but like it is hard. I mean, watching them play anybody else, no one's even close to when they play each other. What makes them so, so good? I, I really don't know. I mean, yeah. like they, it's consistency is part of it. Like there's guys that were really good um, who can hit with power and serve really well. Like Del Potro for a while was a guy they thought might like, you know, get up there. Mm-hmm. He played really well in the Olympics and stuff like that. But he's like very inconsistent. Nadal and Federer and Djokovic like don't miss or mess up really. Yeah. Um, I mean, they like have. I, said, this, I mean, it's just yeah. incredible what sort of like physical shape they're in for a bunch of old dudes. Yeah. I mean, I think Federer is the oldest at thirty-seven. Seven. It's thirty-seven. Nadal, late thirties. Like Nadal might be like thirty-two or thirty-three, and Djokovic is right in there or something like that as well. Um, they're all in their mid to late thirties. But yeah, and it is it is incredible. Um, yeah. Nadal's thirty-three. Okay. And. Um, so yeah, today's match. I don't know. I think I'll have I have Djokovic pulling through. Federer, you didn't you, didn't, you haven't watched any of this, have you? Wimbledon. No. Um, he played Nadal in the in the semis. Uh, on oh yeah, I do that. And the first set was like really close. They Federer won in a tiebreaker, and then they came out for the second set, and Federer played the worst set of tennis he's probably played in his entire career. Really? I mean, he lost. Six to one. It was one of those things where, I mean, it's obviously mental, but he would just go to return a serve and he would just shank off the top of his racket and go up to the 12th row. <laughs> and he did that like three times in one game. Wait, and, and he ended up winning though? Yeah. That's some impressive mental fortitude. Yeah, and that's the other thing I think all these guys have too is they do not really get, like Djokovic yeah. specifically, but Djokovic and Federer seem a lot less likely to get upset like right. some players. But um, but yeah, Federer came back and won the third and fourth set, no wow. problem. Wow. And ended up winning and beating Nadal. Yeah. But, uh, all right. Yeah. Well, I'll let you go. It's time for you to go watch that. I actually have to brew some coffee first, and then I'll be watching. All right, cool. Uh, I'll talk to you next week. See you, man. Yep. Do you want to? Do you want to?